If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. episode 29 of the Unsung Podcast. On the last episode, we discussed Blue Record by Baroness, and the public have voted that, yes, Blue Record by Baroness makes its way into our discography of Unsung Classics. So thank you to everybody who voted. On this episode, we are talking about Animal Rights by Moby. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. Mm. High energy this week. <laughs> I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I've just about got the claws out my fucking back after last week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by two backstabbing bastards. Hey, I'm just being honest. It was nice, though, the way just we lured them into a false sense of security by going, hey, yeah, yeah, listen to that, and, and you know, let's talk about it. That's cool. We've had knuckle dusters on and fucking Chris had a mace. <laughs> I, had, I had my high heels on. <laughs> well, we'll see how the, uh, how the tag team... Work out this. Oh, yeah, week. I, think, I think the writing's on the wall this week. So <laughs> Legion of Doom's arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you're both dead as well. Anyway, um, sitting to my right is Chris Cusack. He is doomed. a bald vegan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sitting kind of to my left is Dave Weaver, who has his uh, sleeves on his t shirt rolled up to emulate a wife beater in honest uh, in honor of uh, the departed XXX Tenazion. Yeah, we just heard that he um, perished on our day of recording. Yep. Uh, which is fine because he's which a is, bastard. Which is three weeks ago <laughs> yeah, to exactly. this day. <laughs> X-rapper, ex-wife beater. XXX. XXXX. X-human. So, yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll cover him. Yeah. Oh, no, maybe we won't because he never had a great album. We don't know that if you've ever listened to him. He had some high streams on SoundCloud, guys. Oof. Oi. So... Did they ever have a record in uh, Abrenafellas? <laughs> he had a number one record in the US. Yeah. I didn't realise he was huge. I like, I just heard him, like somebody copied a link to me and I was like, oh yeah, it's banging. And then I read about him and I was like, oh, he's a bastard. It's like that and then a year later, it turns out he's fucking huge. He was in prison and shit, wasn't he, recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, how did these guys get through all this by the time they're 20? You said we had 15 convictions by the time he was 20? He was 15 felony uh, charges hanging over him. Uh, one of which included uh, beating his uh, pregnant girlfriend. Yeah. I'm almost disappointed that I haven't Got been 15. as busy as... <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my mid to late 30s. And I, don't <laughs> I, I feel like, what have I been doing in my time? Yeah. This guy has a number one record, 15 felonies, a, a near murder, 
and a kid on the way. And an actual murder. And then, then an actual and then he's been murdered. Fuck, he's so busy. Yeah. I know. They really find the time. So speaking but I think it, overall, that's his... Uh, his activities have now stopped. It's condensed. Yes. So it's you ceased. tortoise in here. I see what you're saying. Exactly. Don't feel bad about yourself. You can carry on. I do like to think of myself as a tortoise. Your slightly less violent activities, but overall, you will get more. So speaking of people with convictions, <laughs> um, <laughs> that is the best link you've ever done. Thanks. I've been working on them. Working on them. We're going to talk about a man who has absolutely no convictions to speak of, apart from to his religious, his ones. religious and ethical mm-hmm. ones. Good, but you fumbled the link a wee bit because uh-huh. I think that was implied. Yeah, you know, it's like when you explain a joke, but yeah, but I mean, it's different from his, his different from his religion and some of his ethical. Stick in there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it, man. I'm on it. I'm, I'm on it. I'm fucking yeah. in there. So we're going to cover Animal Rights, the album Animal Rights by the artist Moby, and virtually nobody knows what the fuck this album is. <laughs> And I just, I just picked this to be a troll. I'm I mean, this honest. is classic, Chris Cusack. You've gone peak Cusack here. <laughs> it's actually so meta. You may just, it may just like vanish in your right. small ball. So there is almost no way that this album is going to get into the discography, right? And I'm we're done, by the way. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm resigned to that. But I am looking forward to the fight. I'm like somebody that just went out in a bad mood to get into a fight because okay, cool. this album is so fucking brave. It is and it's, brave. it's a totally, <laughs> it's a totally uttered, like, idiosyncratic artistic statement from a guy, and he's a fascinating guy. Whatever you think of him, uh, and it's a fucking great album, and it, it's uh, really, really odd. And he, he just Moby has issues with quality control. He's issues. <laughs> no. with, he's issues. With, he has issues with common sense. He's issues. Uh, I mean, he seems like a fucking genuinely really really nice guy um, but it's uh, just a compelling character man he's so compelling and this album is just such a, such a random like non sequitur in the in the career even at the time a guy who was a famous electronic uh, you know techno rave dance major label. artist and it's like what were you fucking doing you mad bastard <laughs> and it's like but I'm I'm delighted he did it like delighted he did it um, so yeah I picked this and all I hope is that the people that vote in this which is probably not the case actually listen to the episode for starters rather than just fucking dinging it as some kind of like virtue signaling fucking hipster <laughs> bullshit and secondly listen to this album like so they can appreciate like what the fuck yeah. this is Moby mm-hmm. and it that's the thing about it. I didn't know what Moby was until I heard this album. So I've got this weird <laughs> thing of like reverse. What well, this was your first. This was this the first was Moby. Moby. The first right. Moby. So, so did you hear that? What you heard this when it came out? I was fifteen when this came out, right? See, before it? you go into that, did, had you ever heard Atari Teenage Riot before? <laughs> before this record, because <laughs> you certainly had. Uh, well, actually, no, that's not strictly true. Atari know, Teenage Riot, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, first record, they, yeah, they were the, the same time, and Moby had, Moby had already, yeah. but he'd already a year earlier released techno punk on Everything Is Wrong, which we'll get to. I went to see Soundgarden. It was the first big gig I went to see when you I was one of those shows. When I was younger, yeah. I went Fuck. so I went to Soundgarden at the Barras, supported by Moby. And I can honestly honestly say to this day, man, it is top three gigs I've ever seen. And not because of Soundgarden. Soundgarden were good, but Moby was exceptionally good. It was absolutely amazing. And it literally blew me away. It was like one of the one of the most profoundly <laughs> unexpected musical epiphanies I've ever had. Like I didn't know fuck all about the guy. He was playing an incredibly hostile audience, which he's talked about yeah, since. Yeah, nobody seemed to like him at all on that tour. On that entire tour, he just got absolute pelters constantly. And he had a full band, and his band was actually made up of people who were kind of known figures in the punk rock scene and from New York, and they'd, they were like bassists and guitarists from, from groups that were kind of highly respected and sort of underground, you know, figures. Um, And they were a f- fantastic live band. And one of the most off-putting things about this album is that Sonically, it's really dated. The samples, the snare rolls, the stuff like that, it's really dated. It's very, you know, he's still using snare effects that he would use for a dance tune in a rock tune, and it sounds weird. Bearing in mind, though, I saw him live, and it actually was a kick-ass, heavy, heavy, heavy live show. He was way heavier than Soundgarden that night. 
and he was also way more kind of soaring and proggy. There's a song called Face It, which appears in this album, mm. and uh, I have a very, very vivid memory of the mirror ball in the barras with like green spots on it, just shooting off green lights all around the room as he was playing the like six minute, it was more than six minutes live mm-hmm. solo from Face It, and it was an absolutely amazing experience. Honestly, it was it was brilliant, and I'm not saying that ironically or with like. It was just a fucking great concert. And um, then I'm like, all right. So I knew I'd heard that name before when I get home. And I'm like, and he's just doing like, every time you touch me and all these kind of like proper rave, like early 90s dancing rave, kind of like cheese ball classics. the fuck happened here <laughs> so that's why i picked this because it is to me it's a classic because it's fucking just so random um i didn't really expect you guys to vote it in because there's a lot of like personal attachment required they might, they might still vote it in though you never know we'll see we'll see i'm 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 actually resigned to that but i'm just going to enjoy trying to explain why i think it's so interesting and why folks should fucking no offense but i like a bit of open-mindedness when someone does something random even just for the sake of what the fuck was the mad bastard thinking? I can, yeah, I can very much appreciate him just going out there and doing this. He says it's his favourite album. He does, yeah. He said yeah. that in a noisy article. Yeah. I'm sure he really right. enjoyed playing it and recording it. I am sure that you really enjoyed that <laughs> Powerland show. <laughs> I feel like a uh, caveat coming on here. <laughs> Full stop? <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's me. Um... Here's my notes. <laughs> wow. This sounds like the fucking 90s. Oh my God. This is the 90s. Cool. I'm playing video games on a new PlayStation. Woo. I mean. It's a bit Nine Inch Nails, isn't it? Right, nine Inch Fails, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about. Minus try. Oh, minus fucking try Trent Reza harder. Trent Reza fucking loved this album. No wonder. All Music called this one of the greatest failed albums of all time. I think that's probably true, but only only by dint of the fact he was such a big artist and is still such a big artist. That should have killed his career. I'm surprised a fucking man at his manager didn't go, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Can you just not do that? And he do was, something he no, but did. I think it's so out there and so different that they would have just been like, okay, let's just try again. Was he not <laughs> on like a commercial like... downslide before this record? Though? No. no? Um, the, every, uh, everything is Wrong sold 250,000 copies. He wasn't, like, breaking the charts. That was his biggest selling mm. thing at that time, right? And and so there's an interesting backstory in Moby, right? So, like, to give a bit of context, right? So the guy, punk wasn't just something he came up with in 1996 to do this album. He was a punk, right? yeah. He was a punk, yeah, yeah. So, like, that actually leads into my Nexus, if you want to go into that just now. I'm looking forward to the Nexus, yeah. especially at the jingle, but yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get... <laughs> We'll get to that. Um, and I actually have my own nexus for that mm-hmm. as well, anyway. Um, but, I first of all, so his real name's Richard Hall. Richard Melville Hall, which Moby hopefully Dick. for anybody that's literate... Aye, mm-hmm. Herman Melville, writer of Moby Dick, apparently was his great, great, great granduncle. Um, hence the, the Moby moniker. He was born in 65 in Harlem. And I think a lot of people have a beef with Moby because he uses so many samples of black and gospel music. You know, there's a little bit of allegations of cultural appropriation from the guy. And it's kind of maybe important to bear in mind that Moby grew up in Harlem in New York. You know, he grew up surrounded by that music. And he said it was such a constant influence throughout his childhood. It doesn't feel appropriated to him. He's not black, but it's music that was like ubiquitously. Uh-huh. You know, it was music that was constantly. Oh, much like DJ Shadow. Yes, yeah, you know, exactly. a big part of the hip hop scene and grew up with that. That's his influence. Um so. uh from that, like in the eighties he started <laughs> he play, he played in a band called the Vatican Commandos, which has a fucking brilliant that name. That is a really good name. <laughs> um so he played in Vatican Commandos and there's a little bit of like a dispute about this, and I don't know if this is maybe your Nexus link. He also claims that for two days he sang and fronted Flipper. The infamous punk band that Kurt Cobain wore the the shirt and, and "Come as You Are" video and all that kind of stuff, whilst uh, the singer from Flipper was uh, in jail. Although I believe that Flipper have denied that. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I think the singer's name was Will Shatter. Will Shatter actually died um, later. Now, Flipper denied that, but that said, if you go on YouTube, you can find Moby singing and playing with Flipper in 2008 from a show in New York City. So they obviously didn't fall out about it in mm-hmm. the long run. And it's actually pretty cool to watch him playing with that band. Yeah. Um, he did a bunch of electronic stuff that's pretty badly dated uh, in the in the late 80s. He had a thing called Time's Up, which was with a, a rapper called Jimmy Mack. And you can find that on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. And it's pure humming. Like, absolutely <laughs> humming. It's later than it's ever been. Time's up. Time's up. It's later than it's ever been. Time's up. First thing he did uh, as Moby was a track called Mobility, and it was the B side of Mobility, a track called Go, which sampled uh, Laura Palmer's theme from Twin Peaks, that really became the breakthrough tune from early on. And it's the one that first got him on top of the pops. And he's actually weirdly ended up since then becoming quite friendly with David Lynch. He's done a bunch of charity stuff with David Lynch. He's done interviews for David Lynch. Uh, David Lynch remixed one of his tracks, a track called Poison Tree, um, which is a fucking terrible song. Terrible song. But the David Lynch remix is really pretty good. But yeah, so he, he got his breakthrough from doing Go and was instantly like appearing in a lot of dance circles, appearing in a lot of playlists and set lists of DJs at the time. So it was, it was, it was a bit of a hit, it's certainly underground. He also, in 92, set a Guinness World Record. And this is actually, like, I was watching a podcast about extreme forms of music. Um, Moby has a song called Thousand, which is uh, 1,015 BPM <laughs> and was the fastest bit of music ever formally released. Uh, at the time and actually for quite some time until they got into like but like no but I mean like the, the full on stuff what's the one uh, single tone is it single tone it's yeah extra tone extra tone thanks David <laughs> thanks mm-hmm. well what, the stuff is like 3,000 6,000 BPM stuff oh like like yeah the point mm-hmm. where your brain can't yeah. distinguish the notes anymore um, there's some great podcasts in that actually there's a podcast called the uh, this exists. Sorry, a YouTube channel. It's about weird oddities within music that I really highly recommend. Um. So yeah. Uh, but Moby was like 1,015 BPM. That's it's actually a really unsettling and pretty fucking cool song. Thousand like it, it builds up and it's very unnerving. So like his early stuff's actually pretty extreme. Like it's quite out there. Um, he did like a an eponymous album called Moby, which is it points hilariously bad. Like there's a song called uh, Drop a Beat. I mean you're talking about animal rights being 90s, man. Drop a Beat is the most 90s thing. Out with friends and the film singles. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it is ridiculous. But then again, on that same album, there's a track called Yeah. And if it wasn't for the actual snare breaks in it, it holds up really fucking well. Like, it actually sounds better than a lot of stuff that's trying to imitate it now. Um, there's also a track on it called Have You Seen My Baby which is which is really cool and so it's weird going back into his back catalogue and seeing even though he's a he's a pure trope master now and he's like overwhelmingly known for his easy listening electronica he does have a lot of stuff that is extreme in different ways so is it Thousand was extreme he's got some really really banging electro in that first album in amongst some horrendously bad singles um, and then he followed that by doing something that was pretty pivotal and in ninety five he released an album called Everything Is Wrong. Right? And Everything Is Wrong is the most ridiculous mess 
of an album that I think I've ever heard. It's an absolute fucking rammy. It sounds like, you know, maybe 10 different artists on the same record. <laughs> it's spin voted at their album of the year, which I, I just <laughs> couldn't get my fucking head around. Albeit, there's some really fucking good stuff in it. Um, and also, originally, it was released with an ambient CD, which is kind of a feature of Moby's. They did that with Animal Rights as well. The early versions of it had a CD called Little Idiot. And because I bought it at his gig, I've actually got the ambient record, which is quite rare, I think. But yeah, so that, that album is a total mess. Um, it's got this typical kind of Moby piano arpeggiating thing in the first track. The uh, second track is a song called Feeling So Real, which even just the name of it is a phrase that must have been used in so many fucking rave songs yeah. over the years. It's just the worst, most humming 90s dance that starts with this like sample that is just... I don't know, I can't, you can't even get through the first 15 seconds of it. But then the third track is a track called All That I Need Is To Be Loved. And the third track is out and out techno punk. And it is pure raging, and it's not a nice chord progression. It's not nice in any way. It's pretty ferocious, and it immediately, like, even at this early stage in his career, you're like, "What the fuck is this, man?" It's like he's got a potential commercially successful dance album, and he, in the third track in, he's thrown in this furious punk song, and it's not the only one he does. So it, by the time you get to track five, it's got that song "Every Time You Touch Me," which is just a bogging standard of nineties discos. But then track seven, there's a song called What Love, and that's even more brutal. And it's just really, really strange. Like, it, it's almost like Oi Punk played entirely plugged into the desk. Mm. It is really furious. Uh, but then he goes out of that and he had a thing called First Cool Hive which is the track that sounds most like what he'd become famous for uh, like the stuff on play he's got a track called Into the Blue which is like easy listening ambient he's got a tune called Anthem which is actually pretty fucking good in terms of holding its own with kind of current electro albeit the samples and sounds are pretty dated but the actual construction of the song is good thing is just this weird progression of like non sequiturs like literally like track 12 is god moving over the face of the water which is became famous because it was in heat at the closing credits mm -hmm. of the michael mann film heat which we'll talk about some of the score and stuff and the final track sounds like enya and ketamine mm -hmm. and it's just it's so bizarre that this guy went out on a limb to do this absolute fucking batshit rammy of an album yeah but i think going back to that seen and uh in the early 90s there was a lot of that there was a lot of people taking rave influences and punk influences and trying to piece it together and like a year earlier the prodigy had done Brilliant, it yeah. really successfully yeah like music for agility generation has punk songs on it and it's got rave and it's got sort of ambient stuff and it's fucking amazing that's a really really good record uh, so Moby just kind of copied that, but well, no. I don't think and he, I don't certain think, bits he was really. I don't think he, he didn't copy, copy it, but it. he. I don't think he was going out on a limb. He was his stuff certainly is, influenced. Nah, I mean his his stuff would, and I, I, I do like that album as well. But his stuff with due respect is far more punk than theirs. It is far more unlistenably dissonantly removed from the other music on that record. That it, it veers in much more yeah, erratic. Yeah, yeah I'll know, give you that. He extremes. certainly went. Yeah, further. It's but it's full on. It's man. not like he he invented this. No, he didn't. He didn't invent it, but he Ram was. He went. He went full booner on it, and <laughs> and it's consistent with the extremity of the stuff he'd been doing. And by extremity, I mean in terms of like going in wildly different directions. He's yeah. A, he's what, a, do you know what always interested me about Moby? Uh, was remember reading Kerrang when I was young, and they always had like their rock chart, mm -hmm. their top forty rock chart albums, and it was just basically. They chose 
the rock albums out of the UK record chart and, you know, and just deleted all the other stuff. And Moby Play was always categorised yeah, yeah. as a rock album. And I always wondered why, because listening to Play, yeah, there's some guitars on it, sampled guitars, but uh, it's definitely not a rock record. But now seeing that Moby came from a... had definitely touched on sort of punkier aspects, which yeah, is weird ab- absolutely. for many people. And with, with some success, I mean, 250,000 copies, even though it wasn't like a, you know, at the time, a huge sales figure, is still enough to get you going. And he'd been on top of the pops multiple times by that point. Um, and, you know, he, he he set the groundwork for what he did with Animal Rights. He was apparently really disgruntled with the, the press reaction to everything is wrong. So it actually, it did okay. And it was well received by a lot of DJs and it got a, a lot of play and like I said, it got on top of the pops. But in terms of the interest shown in it, he felt, I think he felt that it underperformed or it performed below its potential because it wasn't given a fair hearing. Animal Rights was in some way his kind of frustrated response to that. And he, he kind of says that. And so he takes those two tracks, especially the, the ones that I mentioned off of uh, Everything Is Wrong and especially All That I Need Is To Be Loved and sort of just pushed for an album in that direction, which is really home recorded, albeit home recorded with Alan Mulder, who'd done like the Manics and, mm. you know, uh, Foo Fighters. Uh, um, Everybody, like you can actually, you can get stuff done by him really cheaply now as well. If you're Twin Atlantic. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Smashing Pumpkins. So, I mean, Alan Mulder's like not to be sniffed at as a producer, but Moby did a lot of this stuff himself. It's a lot of it's like dry recorded, a lot of it's like, and it, it's a pretty inconsistent album in, its, in and of itself, at least. The, the Definitely, yeah. But, it was a pretty furious reaction, and and predictably as well, it didn't sell well. I think it sold about hundred thousand copies, mostly on the back of his existing reputation, um, and certainly not massively on the back of his tours with Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. After that, he was basically scunnered, and he said that he was gonna he was gonna do one more record, give up playing music, and go back to studying architecture. But um, then, thankfully, yeah. He did play. Axel Rose and Bono what said that yeah, they well, loved this he record, wasn't, so he wasn't he was going inspired. To do yeah, he wasn't going to do something else, and he got he got a fan letter. We actually the first fan letter he got was from Terence Trent Darby, who fucking loved Animal Rights and was like, "You got to keep doing this, man. This is brilliant." Then Axel Rose said said he was listening to it on That's fucking car, on yeah. repeat, mm-hmm. and Bono was a huge fan of it. And then there was all these other people coming out the woodwork trying to encourage him, saying, mm-hmm. "This is actually a fucking great record. Fuck these people. They don't know what they're doing." The magazine's absolutely dingy. Absolute trolls. <laughs> <laughs> that could be like a pure. They're like, like, oh fuck! Just had this feeling Moby was going to sell lots of records, and then he released this. Let's like, let's encourage him. Let's more encourage him to fuck off because you know more space at the top of festival bills for us if so he keeps doing this. His last ever album was going to be Play, and then Play fucking sold twelve million records, and is the biggest selling electronica album of all time, and every single track on the album was licensed to films and or adverts. Yep. It's the sound of it's the sound of like beige, that album, is it not? Oh it's the ultimate dinner party record, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like yeah, it was that, and then it was Top Loader. <laughs> you know, for that's early brutal, 2000s. Man, that's fucking brutal. You, you know but that, no, it's actually it's a fine record. It's fine play. It's I, mild. It, there's a reason why it sold it's 12 mild. million people, because 12 really million people cheese. weren't offended by it. Yeah, it's like a cheddar dance album. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mild cheddar. <laughs> it, so, like, but the, the funny part is, though, like, play was turned down by Warner, Sony, and RCA. Like he was shopping it around them, and he, they were they, they just wouldn't give him. Did time he get to... dropped from Electra after this record? Yeah, I think so. In, <laughs> in the states, but he stayed on mute okay. over here. But the, the fucking jokes on them as well, man. Because he, when V two, the, the Virgin mm-hmm. imprint, took it, they were sending it to journalists, and the journalists wouldn't even listen to it. Mm-hmm. And they they released the album, and the album fucking absolutely stank in performance. It sold six thousand copies worldwide. In its first week, and that's in the nineties. So you think about fucking albums were selling literally two two million, mm-hmm. you know, like absolutely flying off the fucking shelves. And Moby's <laughs> sold six thousand worldwide in one week for play, and it just started to just fucking disappear off the radar until the label was like, "Let's license this. Let's see what we can do. Get it on some adverts." And they obviously they got a shitload more offers from adverts in the end than they actually accepted as well. 
but yeah and as the adverts gradually picked up and the licensing picked up it ended up being in the, the UK charts for 81 weeks which is I can believe that yeah. it's right up there man I totally and at the time Moby was touring supporting Bush of all people <laughs> on an MTV2 uh, no an MTV Campus Invasion tour which is like the worst fucking you know bottom feeder fucking yeah. like and he was it's absolutely like hating stuff. it yeah and the fucking the crowd were hating him and within a month they, they were like uh your album's gone to number one in the UK and he's like what <laughs> and like a month later he was like celebrities were fucking like f- like getting introduced to him out by like he's like famous movie stars are coming back to his shows and stuff and he's getting 150,000 sales a week at that point and he's just like what the fuck is happening he says he was so overwhelmed and drunk that he doesn't remember any of it (laughs) for that whole period it's like a complete fucking blur yeah he followed that up with 18 which is a pure another mild stinker of an album like Mm. i I don't actually think plays a stinker i think it's just really bland and it it did what it did and it saved this guy's career whatever but uh, even like 18 which i think is really pretty poor got average reviews sold 5 million in the end but it really seems to kind of rely on play for a lot of those sales like the song extreme ways is in all the the born films all the born films as well yeah Yeah, and then he's he's he went into like a procession of albums following that. He did one called To Tell, which was like slightly rockier. He did Last Night, which is just so cheesy. One called Wait For Me, which is like a sort of semi-ambient album. One called Destroyed, which actually, to be fair, to Destroyed, but by this point, I was trying to listen to all of Moby's back catalogue, and it was pretty tough, but the, the, the Destroyed album actually starts really well. Like, the first three tracks are really pretty good. There's a couple of really nice ones at the end of it. Uh, Innocence, it's hard to really remember what the fuck was going on. Uh, there's an, a couple of long ambient albums. Then he did a thing called Moby and the Void Pacific Choir. Have you heard this? <laughs> Mark, I'm not kidding. I think you'll really like it. He did two records, the one called These Systems Are uh, Failing and one called More Fast Songs About the Apocalypse. And there's kind of a lot of like political imagery in the videos of Donald Trump and stuff like that. And it's it's sort of like synthy pop punk, but like quite quite good. Like I mean, it's not good good. I mean, I wouldn't fucking go out my way to listen to it, but you might. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like coming for the guy that's putting animal rights in his photography. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair as well, the videos for that for that album are like shots of like him playing like a fucking basement in Germany, but then him on like it's then intercut with him on the red carpet at like the MTV Video Awards and stuff, and it, it just him reflecting on the bizarre contradictions of his life, like how he was trying to play, play punk music and releasing albums like Animal Rights, mm-hmm. meanwhile. His songs are and advertising. His songs are on top of the pops. It's just like such a weird, and he has. He's, it's a totally random, weird career the guy has. It's 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 pretty fucking fascinating. It really is. And he's 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 done a whole bunch of other stuff. He had an album in two thousand and eighteen, which is barely even worth mentioning. He's done stuff under other monikers. He's got like a blues band. It's it's worth talking about Moby's scoring things. So he brought an album because I like to score, and the whole thing being that it was tracks from his earlier career that had appeared in movies and Moby to be fair has had some really good moments in in movie scoring he's got stuff that's not so good he's got some really weird obscure things he's got a track in this film Joe's Apartment which was like a big 90s sort of thing he had the track in a film called Cool World have you ever seen Cool World? Yes Whoa it's fucking trippy It's really odd I actually (laughs) I watched that quite recently for the first time When a Moby's first uh, Uh, sinking I don't know, it's, it's possibly one of the most 90s things I've ever seen it's, in my life. Fuck it, it's, it's really out there as well, it's dead strange. He had the track in Scream, 96, but the best Moby scoring of his early career was Heat. I mean, he's got two tracks in that film, and it's, it's a fantastic film. Um, there's a track where he covers Joy Division's New Dawn Fades, mm-hmm. and it's during a kind of car pursuit.
uh, Pacino following De Niro to a diner. It's a great scene. Just it's quite use. overblown that it score, is. but it works. Yeah, and the, the film's overblown. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, exactly. that kind of like it's got a level of pretension to it, and it really fits. I think it's well chosen. And likewise, the end scene, the spoiler alert, the shootout in the the airport on the runways of the airport with the, the lights fading up and fading down when De Niro's he's dying and Pacino's like listening to his last words and this track God moving over the face of the waters fades up and it's a very piano led track and it's got a bit where the cymbals crash in and they crash in really beautifully as the runway lights come on for this plane to take off and it's I mean I, I honestly think it's a fucking brilliant bit of movie score and it's right up there with some of the best But that became something that, obviously, certainly with the success of play, Moby became as known for as anything. So originally he was this like dance floor hit, and then he was suddenly this guy that's scoring films and scoring adverts and stuff. And I, yeah, I mean, fuck, he just just can't fucking knock a guy for like being like a really <laughs> random fucking success story. Uh, sorry to interrupt proceedings uh, This is the point where we ask you to invest in this podcast So we can continue to bring you high quality entertainment uh, Some would say infotainment um, I have a jotter That jotter is usually full of notes about the musical acts that we are uh, pontificating about uh, That's now full, so I'm going to have to buy a new jotter So if you can even just donate enough for me to buy a new jotter That's a start and yes, I am aware that whenever I say the word jotter, <laughs> I say it in a slightly posh manner. You do, yeah, that's right. Jotter. You actually, it sounds like you're saying like an Icelandic uh, surname. <laughs> jotter. I need a new jotter. So yeah, um, if you can help me get there, that would be much appreciated. Because that's a real cost that's going to have a real impact on my life. And the quality of this podcast. Imagine if we didn't have a jotter. Yeah. It would just be chaos. At the rate that I'm going with the increasing length of the episodes, if you get me a jotter that's less than 20 pages, that's not even going to cover one. <laughs> jotter. Jotter. Ciao. Jotter. And then he's come out with Animal Rights, which is well. Animal Rights was like yeah, that was that was way down, way down that list, like way down in the middle. And yeah, but yeah. and no surprises that the the title reflects his fucking extremely strong opinions on the matter. Like yeah. he's a really outspoken advocate of. Um, he was one of those early vegans. He was. He, he he was one of the first guys at the party. Um, you guys all fucking shambled in late once it was fashionable. Mm-hmm. Eh? Fashionably late. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think a lifestyle uh, choice for me. This record. <laughs> Shouldn't exist in terms of <laughs> in terms of Moby's career t- trajectory. Do you know what I mean? Like just doing a whole record of it's this. It's an outlier. It's definitely an outlier. It's it's, it's an outlier in every yeah. sense. In terms it's, of this, shouldn't be a thing. And people should have probably stopped him from doing it, but they didn't. And it's actually not that bad, really. It's not terrible. There's some good moments on it. There's some weird moments on it. There's some songs that are fucking way too long. So like, yeah, I just I don't think it 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 doesn't sound like Moby at all. It got his voice on it, which I'm going to be honest is pretty terrible. Yeah, he's got a but good punk voice. It's I don't an think industrial punk. It sounds like Ministry. It sounds like Nine Inch Nails. It sounds like that, but just not a good version of it. I don't. And agree. it's so nineties. I it's think it's so dated. I think the production is awful. Absolutely, it sounds dated. The production's dated. It does have elements of Ministry and bits of Nine Inch Nails in it. I think it's a lot more punk. Like it's a lot more like you know it's got the kind of conventional punk beats in it. It's far far faster and more kind of it, it follows the kind of punk tropes a lot more than those guys. It's it's not industrial in the sense of the slow pacing of the record. It it's it's pretty furious and it's pretty saturated. It's all recorded very up close. What the fuck is that guitar solo all the way through? Come on, baby, about that's terrible. Yeah, he did that. By the way, if anybody listening to this podcast. 
can find us the performance of him doing that on top of the pops i really want to see it i spent ages trying to find it and apparently moby went on top of the pops and did this and it, they booked him on the strength of his previous three appearances yeah. they had no fucking idea what this record was <laughs> going to be and so he's on there playing this full-on techno punk song on top of the pops with a full band and it was uh yeah i think it was a little bit of a shock to them i'd love to fucking see it i can't find it so yes small challenge to the listenership i mean the animal rights record as well it's like one of the, the kind of hallmarks of Moby's early stuff, I, I don't, I've not bought the, the actual physical copies of his later stuff, so I've not read the sleeve notes, but the early stuff always had essays and things inside it, like quite outspoken essays about whether it was animal rights, veganism, essays about the Christian right in America, because even though at the time he was a very strongly identified, or re- relatively strongly identified Christian, shall we say, he was kind of ambiguous about it. He, he believes in Christ and he, he's made comments about how he, reading the Gospels in 85 convinced them that Jesus Christ was divine, things like that. Uh, he's also always distanced himself from much of the organised religious aspect yeah. of it. So he he was... It's the thing about religion. The religious parts really yeah. get you down. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man, <laughs> Absolutely. Fly with the cross again, eh? Um, yeah, it was, I think it was a BBC interview when he first actually said he was Christian. But weirdly, there's there's a fantastic interview that he did with the Quietus. I think it was about 2011. Um, that I'd really encourage folk to have a wee read at. It's a, such a good-natured interview. The interview is really well uh, pitched. The, the questions are cheeky. I mean, the guy says to him at one point, so you used to, you, you're an outspoken Christian. Have you grown out of that yet? Mm-hmm. Things like that. But Moby seems to take everything in really good humour. There's a really great rapport with the interviewer throughout it. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting, revealing stuff in that, where he talks about the wisdom of uncertainty, as Alan Watts would say. Like, the... the just him saying he's he's agnostic he's talking about how for a long time he was a meat eater that wouldn't speak to vegans then he was a vegan that wouldn't speak to meat eaters for a while he was a punk that wouldn't speak to non-punks then he was a dance kid that wouldn't speak to non-dance kids like there was always a sense of in and out groups there was always a sense of moral and intellectual superiority and he says that one of the one of the things that's really happened to him is that he feels he's grown out of that he's become a lot more compassionate in his ability to relate to people that don't share his values, even if their values often push against his values, he can still have far more constructive conversations yeah. and relationships with them. And I think that's really interesting. He said a lot of that came from, the, uh, I think it's in that interview, he says it as well, the humility of being hated. Right? And he talks about how, as Moby, he's such an eye roll. He's just like, I'm, I'm a perpetual fucking eye roll for people. <laughs> like, Moby, they associate me with this, they associate me with that. They think I'm pole-faced or they think my music's boring or they think it's this and that. And he's like, and you have to develop a certain kind of humility when people just assume they know you like that. And the interviewer says that in the interview. He's like, it's frustrating when you're having when you're speaking to the guy about that, given that he's such an eminently likable guy mm-hmm. to interview and to deal with. He's such a, a down-to-earth guy. Like, pitching those questions at so many other musicians and it would... The, the interview would go right off the rails or maybe even get discontinued but throughout that he pushes his buttons and it's just all really really good it's really worth reading i don't want to sit and quote it you know verbatim here but it, it's got some really interesting insight into him and into his psychology uh, and obviously in, in keeping with the sleeve notes and the animal rights thing he's david he's got a vegan restaurant in california cool yeah yeah called it i think it's little pines little pine um, and all the pro- uh, all the profits for that restaurant go to animal welfare. So uh, he's got a couple of things. He's got another a shop in New York called Little Little Idiot Community or Little Idiot Coalition or something like that, which is like an arts retailer as well for independent retailers. He was a big advocate for people like Chelsea Manning when when she was locked up. He he published a book called Gristle, and the subtitle was like From Factory Farms to Food Safety. So he's like a guy who's like turned his hand to a lot of really interesting and ethically driven things whether you agree with him or not wholeheartedly that's is one thing but he's i just think he's so fucking interesting and this this album is as a result totally incongruous with his music but totally consistent with him as a human being i think it's it's reflective of his eccentricities and his willingness to be open to other things and also what's apparent is his wide taste and appreciation for art that's not necessarily directly within his sphere so do you think this should go in then, based on that? I think anybody that says he looks like the love child of, uh, what is it, Gollum and Marky Smith, <laughs> deserves some fucking leniency. I mean, I, I think that the record itself, like the actual tracks in the record, Come On Baby is not the best track in the record, and it was a single, it was the second single actually that came off it. Oh, 
I like in that song when he lifts the voice up to the higher octave. I, I don't agree. I think his voice is really good when it starts to crack and when he goes up high. Yeah, I think some really interesting stuff that comes after that. There's a track called Something to Love, there's a track called Heavy Flow, there's a track called You. And it's like three really fast kind of electro bangers in a row. And I, I think he's got a great ear for a guitar solo, by the way. Like, I know he overdoes it and Come On Baby, I agree with that criticism. Um, but he has a very, very good understanding of how to slam a really simple, quick thing into the middle of a punk tune to, to mix it up a bit without slowing it down. And just some of the guitar solos in this album are fucking brilliant. <laughs> Like, I, I really would go to the map for that. There's a track called My Love Will Never Die, um, which is a pretty misanthropic punction, mm-hmm. but it ends with this fucking brilliant crowd ending. Um, I don't know how much attention you were paying to it by that point. I was only, that was pretty much that, and the Mission to Burma cover with the two songs actually stood out to me on it. Yeah, well, the end of My Love Will Never Die is this brilliant mm-hmm. crowd outro, and it's just, it's just dead fucking good. A track called Soft, which is kind of much more metallic, has a lot more chugging and screaming in it. Um, that sounds like Soft, sounds like it could be on this, the Crow soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess it, could, it probably could have been, yeah, a bit earlier. Um, there's Say It's All Mine, which is almost like a weird industrial ballad and has like a total fucking ripping kind of classic rock solo in the middle of it. Um, you're talking about the, the Mission of Burma cover, which is That's When I Reach For My Revolver. Um, one thing that's always stuck in my throat, Moby, uh, is that he buckled to pressure for the BBC and for MTV to change that title. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, so he released it and re-recorded it as... Sorry, re-recorded it and released it as That's When I Realise It's Over. Mm-hmm. And he was like trying to play that down. Oh, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal. Moby's a guy that describes himself as a libertarian. And if you look at some of his like last minute ultimatums on the sleeve notes for things like this album, he talks about like uh, free speech is absolute and inviolable. So I would have liked him to persevere with that. You know, he's like, oh, I don't think it's essential to the nature of the song. I think that's convenient in in the circumstances. I think he'd probably accept that criticism, to be honest. Um, but th- I mean, there's it's a really fucking good version of that song I think it's it's a really yeah, good original but it's actually a fucking killer version of it That's when I reach for my The track after that is the one that I was saying at the show with the massive solo, a track called Face It, which is 10 minutes, 5 seconds long, and I fucking love how long and indulgent that tune is. I have had some fantastically unorthodox cigarettes in my time, and few of them go with music better than they go with that song honestly <laughs> it has like this little twinkly gap in the middle of it and then kicks back in again but from 4.40 until the end he's basically soloing yep. <laughs> it's like full fucking five and a half minutes of just soloing and playing over these giant string pads and honestly I think it's fucking brilliant It's, it's completely OTT, completely unnecessary, but 
kind of hilarious. Like, it's just like nobody is in there in his ear going, uh, Richard, maybe we should, uh, that'll be enough though, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's fucking brilliant. Um, I, I, you know, the song after that, Living, over long, maybe, but kind of charming if you let it run its course. Like, it, it's one that for the first couple of minutes you're like, this is pretty cheesy, but as he brings in more elements, I think it becomes kind of blissful and really quite nice. Not, like, this is this thing where like the, the opening track, Now I Let It Go, Living and Love Song For My Mum, which are the two last tracks, don't really fit with the other tracks on the album. But again, that's kind of consistent with him and, you know, how awkward they can be. I think they're nice. I, I really do. The kind of violin, electro-classical thing is pretty cheesy, but the whole album's kind of cheesy. The whole album's kind of uh, OTT. It requires a little bit of suspension and disbelief for it to work. have to kind of get on board and if you're not wanting to get on board then you won't get it but I, I like those coincidentally not trying to get too morbid living was ironically the tune that was playing when i found out that my grand died when i was 16 and um it's really odd because it's such an upbeat tune and it is strange how you develop an attachment to something when it's as poignant as that don't get me wrong like i wasn't particularly grief-stricken that my grand died she wasn't well and it was a good time for her to go but as a result i'm quite protective of that tune because when I hear it, I'm like, oh my God, this is so fucking cheesy. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. What is he doing? But I can't help but fucking love it. I can't help but love the stupid naivety of the whole fucking thing. And yeah, I just think it's great. And there's a sentimentality to it. It's a picture of his granddad holding him when he's like two weeks old on the cover. Love song from my mum. His dad died when he was really young. He grew up with his mum. Everything's kind of schmaltzy, but also really kind of sweet. And I think that's that, that's really pretty charming. There's a couple of other things it says in the sleeve notes. There's one that I really liked, which was you can't expect people to worry about the world if they can't feed themselves or their children. It's one of these little maxims. And it's full of like these little bits of like quite compassionate wisdom. Like, he just seems like a good guy. <laughs> he does. He just seems like yeah. a good guy. I've I've never had an issue with Moby. It's his later stuff is fine. Got shit her as it went on. And he seems like a nice guy. He does, yeah, but fine. Cool. Can we get men on the basis of being a nice guy? But that this record is shit. I, I really have to say, I understand that you have personal attachment to it. And much like two weeks ago where I had personal attachment to Best Coast and you just thought it was shit. Take no prisoners. I I just think for this type of music, just, just let a band just let a band that can do it yeah. do it. Just do your V Festival soundtrack. And be good at yeah, it. Yeah, he had like Glastonbury's Pyramid stage, didn't he? In like what, 2003 or something like that. He's like, yeah. peak, peak Moby. Great work. You know, Honda adverts <laughs> need music. <laughs> but fucking hell, you know, there are bands that are good at this. So just let them do it. Uh, I, just, I couldn't get into it. I thought it was just so dated. The production was fucking grim, man. <laughs> one of the reviews at the time, one of the few reviews um, said... Maybe someone should try and convince Moby guitars are made out of dead animals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck, that's cold as ice. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's pretty cool. And the credits page to the album as well has a thing at the bottom of it. So I was like, have you guys actually listened to this? Where he, he knew what he was doing. He knew, like, people would have said to him, Moby, what the fuck is this? Because he had in the, in the sleeve notes, uh, please listen to Animal Rights in its entirety at least once. <laughs> <laughs> just like begging people, just please come on, do before it. you fucking throw this out the window, just, just fucking give me a chance it sounds like Wipeout remember Wipeout the game that yeah, came yeah, with the Playstation yeah, yeah, it sounds like that yeah. I well, think um, this record I think Moby should be nowhere near the discography <laughs> in, in any capacity <laughs> whatsoever do you know yeah, maybe we could do an unsung nice guys podcast <laughs> or something no but he's very much a sung nice guy well that's though. it isn't like, it everyone it's, knows he's a nice everybody guy everybody knows Moby oh, he's, totally he's sold he's you know, well, 200 million he's, he records he well sung yeah, he's well sung. There's no reason that Moby needs to be in here because he's f- fucking successful and famous enough. And there's no reason to choose a terrible album by him 
when there are many terrible albums. Hey, well, I like the fact that it's different and weird, but it's also shit. I admire this record a lot <laughs> because of what he what he done, the way that he had produced it and all that, but he should not have done it. He should not have done it. Right. Okay. Last <laughs> <laughs> just hear me out. Last nice guy push. Yeah. So he was a big advocate for Tibet, the free Tibet concerts, yeah. right? Cool. Yeah. Refused yeah, nice. to refused to tour in China. Yeah. Okay. Good lad. Refused to tour in China. Was there a band that you really like that did? Well, a band that did get into the, the discography and that I'm a huge admirer of, but you know, the guy was consistent with his principles and also played in Israel despite threats in his life and multiple requests from high profile organizations for him to boycott and released a video saying amidst all that furor saying, Dear Tel Aviv, been too long since I've seen you, really looking forward to seeing you season. And <laughs> fucking lambasted and hated and like I said, like had threats made in them. There's also if you go on ChristianityToday.com as Oh God <laughs> <laughs> as Wow. <I'm>, wow. <laughs> as I'm sure you often do. <laughs> Go on ChristianityToday.com. There's a debate amongst the moderators and the, the members of that website <laughs> as to whether or not Moby's music is Christian enough to listen to. And it is so much fun watching them pick apart. the like, he's quite Christian. He does like Jesus, but he refuses to accept him as the one and only saviour of his human soul. And then other people are like, he has hookers in his video, but he was interviewed about that, and he said that the reason he had hookers in his video was to highlight the terrible things that happened to women, so it's not gratuitous. And they're like, but yeah, but he's still got flesh in his video, and therefore it's, and it's fucking few things more enjoyable. I think I found a bonus <laughs> content for the next couple of weeks just going to be narrating that, and, <laughs> that entire thread between the three of us. By the way, what was the Foo Fighters Nexus? Oh, the Foo Fighters Nexus for this one is um, he played on, he played with Bad Brains on... Whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't play the intro music. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> uh, he played with Bad Brains at a festival in 2006, uh, 2016 and played um, What's a Punk to Do? Bad Brains song? I thought it was just a question. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. Hang on. Grow up, mate. It's remarkably <laughs> philosophical. Wait a second. I think it's What's a Punk to Do. Well, what is a punk to do? What question, What answers would you have, Chris? Stomp a bit. Learn a fourth chord. <laughs> <laughs> so he at Subliminal Festival in 2016, Moby played on How How Low Can a Punk Get with Bad Brains, him on guitar, Dave Grohl on drums, one jump. All right, that is one jump. That's pretty good. That's better than mine, yeah. which was going to be. He sang with Flipper, disputedly. Mm -hmm. Chris Novoselic played bass with Flipper, uh, Latter Day Flipper, and Dave Grohl was uh. in some band or other with Chris Novoselic. Uh, I can't remember the Nevoselic. name of the band. Nevoselic. Yeah. Nevoselic. Yeah. Whatever the fuck. Uh, there's also another one. Uh, he, they both they both contributed to Heathen by David Bowie. Mm. Yeah, apparently he was quite Bowie. good friends with David Bowie. Mm. Boy. Boy, Bowie. Boy, yeah, Boy. Yeah, but apparently they were quite close. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, right. We'll play the outro yeah, music. We'll play the outro, yeah. <laughs> But I think that's quite an interesting one. I think that's like yeah. it's just one jump. That was pretty good. Well researched. As well. I would imagine that they are um, probably friends as well. To be honest, well, and all these friends would take Trent Reznor, which is kind of also two jump two jumps to Dave Grohl. So all I can say, I want to leave it in the words of Drowned in Sound, who I think put it very very well. Right? They said that, um, after all the shit it was getting, uh, one of the writers did a special article on Animal Rights and said that uh, quote. It's one of the most underbought, underrated, unusual albums a major artist has ever produced. That's probably true, but it's also quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's just no reasoning with some people. <laughs> what are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? I don't know. Oh, we know what you're doing. I'll tell you what we're doing. Yeah. We're doing the... Well, it's actually kind of difficult because everybody has a different idea about what this album's actually it's called. Officially, and it's officially titled on Spotify, Songs of Higher. 
right, we're doing the Magnolia Electric Company by Songs of Hire. But there is some dispute over that because the they first. subsequently mm-hmm. changed their name and it was a, I think this was the first one at least is that. We'll know better next week once yeah. we actually research it. It is but a superb album. It's pretty fucking beautiful and also really quite a sad story. Yeah, it's a very sad story, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a lovely bit of music. Can we have some reviews, please? Reviews, It's it's been so nice recently, but more reviews. We're trying to think of things to say in the reviews. Um, tell us... Who has the most annoying accent? That would be good. You could let us know if... We all come from different parts of Scotland and, mm-hmm. you know... If, if you were paid a million pounds, would you like Moby's head? Please answer in the reviews. I would like Moby's head, full stop. And Moby, if you're listening, I'll lick your head to prove it. Okay. He's got nice glasses. He's got nice loads of things. He seems like a very nice man. Yeah. Yeah, good lad. Probably tastes good. He's <laughs> <laughs> still sending you Is cannibalism vegan? I've never worked that out. We should ask Moby. Moby, if you're listening, mate. Um, Let's tweet him. We'll tweet you. We'll tweet him. Moby, am I able to eat a man? That's all I need to know. This is the vegans <laughs> asking the question. Yeah, as a vegan, would I be thrown out of vegan I mean, club if of, I ate a human? Not if you're killing him, though. Yeah, but it's not part of the neo-industrial meat complex. That's not what veganism is, though. Yes, it is. No. Anyway, it's guys. Narrow. Anyway, guys. Thank you very much for for being here. We'll and put it this way: if, <laughs> if we'll go out, we'll find a body. That'll be all right. Oh, is that okay? If we find, yeah. So I mean, if I find a cow, I could eat it. It would be. Vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, carrion's fine. Yeah, yeah. We can we can go and eat some carrion. Great. Yeah, roadkill. Into it. Loads Into of road it. traffic accidents. Cool. Mm-hmm. We'll get a CB radio. We'll follow. We'll be an ambulance chaser. Find some dead bodies. We'll eat them. You won't have broke the vegan edge. Yes. All in Moby's name. All in the name of Moby. Good Great. lad. Anyway, thanks, guys. I'd rather eat a man than listen to that album.